Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamiya Moravian, joined remotely from my co-host, Jack Shields. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Google Play Podcasts. Give us a five-star review because it makes us easier to find, and we really appreciate it. Jack, how's how's life, man? How's quarantined life? Uh, quarantine life, uh, it could be a lot worse. I mean, my girlfriend and I are eating great food. We're going on walks. We ate tacos. We watched Joe Exotic, Tiger King, which is absurd, which we're obviously going to get into on this podcast. It's a wonderful show. Why would we not get into this of course. on this podcast? I mean, it's the only thing anyone in the state is talking about, or around the country for that matter. I love that <laughs> the rest of the world has been exposed to this person. Who it's we have number one on Netflix's watch, watch list. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it, it's probably not even very close. Like, it's, this is a national, maybe worldwide phenomenon. I don't know how available this documentary is on uh, international Netflix platforms, but I imagine it's probably a very alarming thing if you live, like, in Europe or something like that and aren't very familiar <laughs> with culture in Oklahoma. You're probably like, what the fuck are these people doing out here? It's amazing. And you hear all the people like, oh, well, this isn't an accurate representation of Oklahoma. Yeah, it is. There are a bunch of meth heads who love guns and hate big government. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's pretty on brand. <laughs> yeah, like if you're not living in the Oklahoma City or Tulsa Metroplex, this is a pretty accurate and like this oh, is like totally like Winniewood. That is 100% Winniewood or anything like that. Right. But for a lot of Oklahoma, that is the reality. I mean, the guy was on a four wheeler looking at a tornado and saying, "Well, there's nothing we can do about that," and driving off. Very yeah. Oklahoman. That's so much like Winniewood, Oklahoma. Just amazing. Have you ever been through Winniewood before? I've I've never been to Winniewood. I was rerouted on the way back from OU Texas one year because of construction. Had to get off on a highway uh, seventy seven or whatever it is, and it it is it's a piece of shit. <laughs> it's an awful town. I will say that without regret. It is horrible. So I would say that the representation of the town is probably fair. Someone described it as. 
bumfuck Oklahoma. I think that is completely accurate. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. But man, today we're going we're going throwback for the next few weeks. However many however many weeks or months we have to stay inside our houses without actual contact with people. So we've got a plan for the next you know weeks or months, whatever. And today we're definitely going to look at Red October, which is the stretch of. Oklahoma playing Texas, Kansas State, and Nebraska, all ranked in the top 10 besides Texas, I believe, was number 12 at the time, on route to the 2000 national title team. We got a lot of Twitter questions from you guys, and then just a lot of other things that kind of just like went, slipped through the cracks the last couple weeks. So let's get started. Red October, it was number 12, Texas, number three, Kansas State, and number one, Nebraska. And one of the things I just noticed on the broadcasts, just in the Texas game was all the other names and like all the other sneak peeks that the commentators would throw in. And like there were teams, there were teams like Drew Brees' Purdue team. And I forgot, you know, Drew Brees was literally playing college football in 2000. Um, and then they, they mentioned a really spectacular freshman during the Kansas state game for NC state. And his name was Philip Rivers. And I just kept on thinking, wow, like this is just like really weird time machine sort of thing. But, yeah, and I mean, I mean the uh, the big mid-major sensation of that era was Ladanian Tomlinson as yes. well at TCU at that point. And he was a Heisman finalist, I think, with mm-hmm. Drew Brees and Winky and Heupel. I think Tomlinson was like the guy who finished a distant fourth, even though he – well, I guess Drew Brees obviously has had a Hall of Fame career, but Tomlinson is a – he was a first ballot Hall of Famer as well. Yes. So obviously pretty great in retrospect. But it just it was just pretty odd and pretty really honestly awesome and cool uh, as far as like all the other names of the players that got dropped and then I just kept on thinking, wow, this is like this is the quality of like video that we received in the year two thousand in comparison oh, to like four yeah. K now. I was just like I was alarmed and thinking like I remember thinking how high quality this was in the year two thousand and like uh, yeah, now remember... it doesn't even compare. I remember finally, I think it was like 03 or 04, the first time I watched an HD football game at someone's house. It was it was life-changing at that point. I mean, it was a big deal. It's just like we went from, like, I went from watching things and usually in, like, 4K or whatever to now it's, like, like to 2000, it was, like, 540. It was just, like, it's so grainy in some in some spots. It's just bad. But let's just let's just start with it. OU Texas. This is Bob Stoops. I mean, his second game in, in the Red River Shootout. They actually called it the Shootout, not the Showdown. It's OU number ten in the country. Texas number twelve. And they just talked about like a, a role reversal for OU's team, really getting it done on offense, being one of the best passing teams in the country, other than Florida State. And then Texas doing really the same thing, who were quarterbacked by Major Applewhite and Chris Sims, both in the same game. Uh, just before we get into anything, what are your thoughts on the entire game? Well, first of all, I remember the feeling of apprehension early on in the game because OU got up, I think, you know, pretty handily early in this game. But that, mm-hmm. then again, 1999, Oklahoma went up 17 to nothing in this game and then went on to get sort of trounced. In the end. So, I mean, there was a little optimism was, I guess, cautious at that point because you thought maybe Texas could do the same thing again this year because they were still a pretty good team. But, and then, yeah, it 
though you just kept the uh kept the burners on and just kept going. One thing I remember about this too, I don't know if this was the same in other markets, but in the Oklahoma City market on the ABC affiliate, they weren't able to show I think a good chunk of the first quarter because it was there was some sort of overlap with a national news broadcast or something of that nature. There was some sort of error, and we basically weren't able to see the first touchdown of the game, which if that happened today, I mean, that would cause right. a riot, but it was an odd thing. And maybe ta- it was a little more common back then, but I'm not yeah, sure. And, and we just talk about, you know, how they were maybe, like, apprehensive or, like, a little, like, anxious, like, well, they got up 17, nothing last year. And I remember Stoops talking about the 99 team. They did that a couple times. Uh, with Notre yeah, Dame, oh, yeah. Texas. Notre Dame uh, the uh, the week before, yeah. And it, it's just like they did that, and they would be they would be like kind of celebrating on the sidelines, like, yeah, we're kicking this team's butt. And then they would they would lose, and they had to well, learn how to win that, that year. That those teams had – that 99 team had very little depth. Yeah. Because they had a lot of attrition in the offseason. That – that staff was, you know, pretty hard-ass. So, I mean, they ran off a lot of uh, John Blake's guys mm-hmm. in the early going. So, that 99 team really lacked depth. And late in games, it would kind of show. But I think in the end, obviously, it was a positive development. But, yeah, the, it was pretty heartbreaking to see uh, that Notre Dame game especially because OU was just dominating that football game for nearly three quarters. But then, it, I mean, the wheels sort of fell off. But I guess the same thing happened in 99. But it was really refreshing to – COU sustain all of these leads in 2000. It was uh, definitely refreshing. And then another thing I noticed was there were so many Oklahoman guys starting on this team, both on offense and defense. Just like it just it wowed me. I didn't realize. Um, of course, you know I was I was a kid back then, but I didn't. I just didn't realize how many Oklahomans started for this team. Um, and you know, not even just guys from like the Tulsa area. Like I think Trent Smith was from like Duncan. He was from Weatherford or Weatherford or something like that. Yeah, he was from and, Weatherford. And just there was there were so many other guys that I just had no idea that were from Oklahoma. And it was just it was just really like honestly, it's pretty cool to see that. And of course, Roy Williams is like one of the only California guys there. Um, but I Jamie thinking, Mackey was from California too. Those I think those are right. the two California guys. And then Torrance Marshall, I think he's a Miami kid. Like, he was, yeah. And then you saw Rocky Kalmus. I uh, saw a lot of Teddy Lehman. It's just really, really neat to see all those Oklahoma kids. And then um, one of the guys that um, I went to high—I uh, I didn't go to high school with them, but one of the guys that's always on the sideline for the Moore War, but between Moore and Westmore, Frank Ramiro was a Moore High School graduate. So like, oh, yeah. they have they have special things for him inside the high school. It's pretty neat, but. It was just a complete, like you said, a complete ass whipping from beginning to end of this game. Like it's like one of those ass whippings that like you kind of get bored watching it in the third quarter when it's forty nine it, to like seven and there's no it end really in sight. Did feel that way, but prior to that, it was so much fun. Like I think it was the second quarter. There were a lot of moments of that game that you could pinpoint as your possible favorite moment of that game. Mm-hmm. The best one was Rocky Kalmus having that interception with one arm and yes. having a full cast on the other arm, and then juking uh, Chris Sims out of his shoes for a pick six. That was pretty sweet. That's that's still one of my favorite OU plays of all time. Yeah, just 
Yeah, Chris Sims because Major Applewhite had done like didn't Major Applewhite get benched and then come back in he, later he, on in the game? Well, yeah, he did. They did that a lot that year with uh, they did that a little bit the year before in '99. Like Mac Brown would sort of lose confidence in Major Applewhite for a little bit, then he'd kind of try to make a statement by putting Chris Sims in there, and that led to a lot of turmoil in the quarterback room, and eventually Sims uh, supplanted. Um, I think this is essentially where. From here on out, Chris Sims was basically the quarterback for the University mm. of Texas. And then I think it was late in the 01 season when Applewhite came in. I think they let him play the bowl game, and he destroyed Washington. And it was sort of like a big F you to Mac Brown. Hey, I've been this good all along, and you uh, gave up on me essentially for this Chris Sims kid. So that was kind of nice to see all that turmoil in the quarterback room at Texas. Obviously not the – last time or the first time that's happened there but and then thinking about the big 12 in general at this time you had roy williams at ou you had roy williams at texas and you had the coach roy williams at kansas yeah three different roy williams in the conference all high profile guys and really only two of them made a name for themselves long term like I mean, Roy Williams, the wide receiver, went to the Lions, but he was never, like, that big of a deal, I don't remember thinking. He he probably would have been a big deal with another franchise. You're probably he, right. he was really damn good, but he kind of he, – he was, like, a lot of wide receivers in uh, Detroit that flaked out. Charles Rogers was another one. He was from Michigan yep. State. He was so damn good, but he flaked out in – Detroit too. I don't remember even who their quarterback was at that point. I think Charlie Batch was playing a lot back yeah, I think then. Yeah, Batch. Oh, who's the other guy? There's another guy too. But yeah, Batch was one of them. But one of the things I remember from the game that was an absolute great quote that after Quentin Griffin scored, I don't know, remember which touchdown it was. He had he had like five. He said in the it was rest six, of the yeah, it was six. Okay. And he says, and the rest of the nation will be awakening tomorrow morning to the reality of the dominance of this Oklahoma team, 4-0 and absolutely for real. And then it was just, they crushed them, 63-14. to And then, like, a few years later, they beat them, what, 65 to, it was like, what, 65-13 to or something like that? 65-13 was 2003. That was God. very fun. So it's just like, they really just beat down this Texas team from beginning to finish, left no doubt, and it was just it was they they were just they were still stripping the ball in the fourth quarter while they're oh, up yeah. by like fifty points. It's just unbelievable. That Michael Thompson strip out on the edge was a thing of beauty. It's just you saw the depth and you saw guys like Teddy Lehman for 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 like the years to come that were just going to be very special and just really awesome to rewatch that. And then the next week, right after that, you have. Kansas State, and this time, Kansas State at, at the time was, uh, they were running off and ripping off a 25 game home win streak. Yeah. They had a chance to play in the national title the year before. They were number three in the country. Uh, people don't realize the history of Kansas State before Snyder got there was complete garbage. They were, they were, like, they were very, very close to getting rid of the program. At least it was in discussions at that point, like serious discussions. Like they were just so so bad, and they he changed literally everything about the program, how they went about the program. They even changed the logo, and people don't know, maybe not know the story. He because he he comes from the, the Iowa coaching tree of Hayden Fry, you know all those guys, and he looked at the Iowa Hawkeye logo and pretty much basically just said, "Make me a cat out of it." 
And then that's how you got their Kansas State Wildcats logo. They it's the same thing as the Iowa Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, except it's just a purple cat. And so and people sort of talk shit on it because of that fact, but I think it goes pretty hard. I think it's a pretty damn good logo. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, Looks damn good on a helmet for sure. I mean, I, I think it's one of the cleaner looks in college football. A lot of people disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But I've always thought it looks pretty cool. I like the, I like their shade. I like their lighter shade of purple. I don't like it when they use their darker shade of purple. Um, just makes it look more clean. Looks a lot better. Yeah, I, shows I up a like lot better. Wear the, I like when they wear the white helmet. Yeah, oh, that looks I really that looks cool. really good. They, I mean, yeah. they did that this year, um, and it looked really nice, really clean. But this game also pretty early, it was not competitive. It was thirty-eight to fourteen, and Kansas State they had really stopped OU's run game, and Heupel was just like throwing for his life. It was thirty-eight to fourteen with five minutes left in the third quarter, and they were just snuffing out everything on defense. Um, Torrance Marshall, Rocky Kalmus, they were killing everything, and when they weren't killing everything, it was Brandon Everidge, and uh, of course Roy Williams just doing everything incredible game from those guys what do you think oh i mean it was it was extremely impressive i mean heupel as well i mean he wasn't always having the cleanest performances in 2000 i mean 99 he put up much bigger numbers but 2000 he was sort of having to be a magician a little bit i mean he he bailed OU out of some uh, some big situations in uh, mm-hmm. that 2000 game in manhattan and he had legs I mean, there were too. a few times he, he ran he he was not a fast guy at all, but he had such great instincts that that helped him on the ground a little bit, and it helped him avoid pressure a lot too. I mean, he had very little physical ability as a quarterback. His arm was he had a noodle arm, just straight up, mm-hmm. but he was incredibly accurate with it, and he had a really good feel for where people would should be at which time in the routes, and so that sort of helped him out a whole bunch, but. Yeah, it was that was one of his more impressive games as far as playmaking was concerned. But I mean, on defense, I mean, Kansas State had some weapons on offense. If you don't remember, Aaron Lockett was super dangerous. God, Quincy those, Morgan. That's that's one of so the things. Good. The Lockett's like Jesus Christ, yeah. man! Like the that, Lockett's yeah, go back for forever. Lockett. That was Aaron Lockett. His brother Kevin Lockett was the even better brother, and then Kevin Lockett's son is Tyler Lockett, but. Aaron Lockett, who was, I guess, Tyler Lockett's uncle, he was pretty cold. I mean, he was a great return man, too. He would had you, a return Would you say that the Lockett's are better than the Woods, though, than the Woods brothers? As a whole, yes. Okay. As a whole, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because they're only two brothers, I think, that I can recall. But then there was the son mm-hmm. of Kevin Lockett, Tyler Lockett. As far as a trio of people that were related, the Lockets win. Rashawn was probably better than all three of them, at least at the collegiate level. Rashawn was incredible, but Dewan, he was pretty good, but not There's great. Donovan Woods, but he wasn't the brother. Donovan, he, ha- he had a year at quarterback, and he wasn't that great. Then he yeah. moved to, I think, safety for a little bit, and then linebacker, and that was it. But, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a whole, the Lockets beat the Woods. I agree. And Tyler Lockett's had a lot of success with the Seahawks. And he's on oh, and no. he's really... as a pro, he's the best one. Kevin yeah. had a a good a decent career in the pros, but uh yeah. yeah, Tyler is yeah, the best of all of them for sure as far as one the of the things I really like so. about Tyler Lockett is that he is 
a very proud Oklahoman in Tolson, and he's like very he's like really all in on like Oklahoma City Thunder stuff, and he's it's a just huge really cool, Thunder fan. Yeah, really cool to see that. And just but yeah, this game it was just completely in hand, thirty eight to fourteen with five minutes left in the third quarter, and all of a sudden there's a long play by Kansas State followed by a blocked punt and score by Terrence Newman, former Cowboy, and the next thing you know it's thirty eight thirty one with ten thirty in the fourth quarter. And then Oklahoma, they get a little antsy with Mark Mangino, and they have Ronaldo works through like a halfback pass that gets picked off. And next thing you know, it's Kansas State possibly, Kansas State with the ball, possibly going to score to tie the game up with a lot of time available. And then um, just Roy Williams and Brandon Everidge and the rest of the defense, they just take control. Oh, yeah. And that was, I mean, that's one thing that stood about about that defense too. You rarely saw missed tackles or broken tackles Mm -hmm. in those games. I mean, that was one of the most sure tackling teams you will ever see. The 2001 defense was even better in that regard, but the 2000 defense, I mean, that's one of, that was the main thing that lifted them to the national championship was just that defense being so on in those big situations. They didn't always shut teams out, but they were very, they were very clutch. They got a lot of clutch stops throughout the year. And they didn't allow too many big plays. Yep. And they, they had a flanker on offense, jo- Josh Norman. And oh, he's God. one he of the most running back. Yeah. Yeah. He used to be running back. One of the most underrated players on this team. He's like one of the oh, glue yeah. guys. Like you talk about Lee Morris. I, and you talk about like Jordan Smallwood guys that are like really important to the scheme that don't get a lot of respect, man. Josh Norman made so many big plays. He's incredibly thick and, he literally boxed out a guy for a first down for 20 yards and that was it. And he just, he played a massive role in this team. And now he actually coaches the football. He actually coaches the sophomore football team. He's the head coach. That's pretty awesome. I would love to see how Lincoln Riley would have utilized oh, Josh God. Norman. Well, he's got like, one. I, I, might you, be Henderson. Would, well, see, there you go. I, I think you would probably see him get some time in the backfield in this mm-hmm. offense. He didn't really fit in that brand of the air raid back right. then, him in Man. the backfield. But you could utilize him out of the backfield and out on the edge God. and in the slot. I mean, you could – You're right. You had, yeah, it, it would have been fun to watch. Just, sure. Like Lincoln Riley – like Josh Norman is Lincoln Riley's like wet dream. Like that dude can do everything oh, yeah. for you. He can line up on the slot, backfield. He can He can line up on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, man, he can. He's the ultimate like Swiss Army knife, and man, that's that's a that has me like a lot of loss for words. That that would have been amazing to see. That would be amazing to see. I mean, that's what they're getting in Mikey Henderson. Like the guy's thick, athletic as hell. So it's really exciting. Um, Oklahoma wins this game, forty-one to thirty-one, going away. I mean, like they they basically had the ball at the one yard line, and Kansas State didn't have their timeouts, and it was a first and goal at the one yard line, and instead of scoring. They just they ran like three QB sneaks and killed the clock for like two or three minutes and then just kicked the field goal to go up by 10. But that may sound like, you know, like not a bad idea, but Tim Duncan was the kicker and he was not reliable. This man, his splits were well, bad. Well, he, he turned out to be clutch throughout the year. He made That's some clutch toward the end of the year, yeah. the year, but like entering that game, his numbers really weren't that great as far as percentage wise. I think he entered the Nebraska game maybe like I think he was seven at twelve. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he he wasn't perfect, <laughs> but he definitely made some clutch kicks in two thousand. So, 
Definitely like before that kick, he was, he was six of eleven before the kick or something like that. Jeez. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so they win this game, and Oklahoma gets elevated to number two in the nation. And then, of course, they have a bye week before Nebraska. That's how you have this red October month. This this month full of just ranked opponents: number twelve Texas, number three Kansas State, and then you come back home. This is your first game at home because you played at a neutral site in Dallas. You played in Manhattan, Kansas in the little apple. And now you're actually home, uh, probably at homecoming or no, it's uh, yeah. Probably it it's actually homecoming, homecoming week. It and so it's like big game already, big game for the community and really to see what, if Oklahoma was worth their medal or not. And Oklahoma early gets down 14, nothing. And, they actually like go to Tim Duncan and kick a field goal and he misses it. And it did not look promising. Eric Crouch in that option attack that, um, oh, not Osborne, Solich, what they ran was just like stupid early. Like, oh, you could not get a grasp on them. They're fullbacks. Just a lot of missed tackles and a lot of confusion on defense. It looked honestly kind of even looked like the Army game from a couple of years ago or last year. Early on, it looked bad for the Sooners in the beginning. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, they go down 14 nothing, and then they miss that field goal. I mean, that crowd throughout the game, no matter what was going on, was about as juiced as I've ever seen an OU crowd ever. And it, it even after that missed field goal, people were amped up, but there was sort of a sinking feeling at that point. Like, eh, you know, we just had a good drive, and it didn't end with points, and – Nebraska's been going up and down the field on us. Maybe this just isn't our day. You know what? We killed Texas, and we picked up a great win in Manhattan. We might be able to play this team again in the Big 12 championship game and get payback. Who knows? Maybe it'll be our day then. We've still got great goals for the season. And then from that point on, OU just completely flipped the script, and the, uh, they never looked back. 31 unanswered points. I mean, it was – it was pretty incredible. I, I want to say, I'm trying to think of which moment in the game got the loudest ovation from the crowd. And for me, it's between that bomb to Curtis Fagan to tie mm-hmm. it up at 14. That there's a I think there's a Getty image of that play. And that's off Heupel's um, back foot, too. Yeah, off of Heupel's back foot. And it's it's a picture from about the goal line of... Fagan looking over his shoulder and having yep. his hands up for the ball and the West stands with every single person's arms raised in the background. It is a cool photo. You can Google it and see if you can find it, but it's pretty damn cool. That or the Derek Strait pick six yep. at the beginning of the, uh, I, I think it was Nebraska's first drive of the second half, if I recall correctly. I think that was it, but that I was at the 08 Tech game, and that was an incredible crowd. I was in the student section, but as far as just a crowd being juiced, that OU Nebraska game just absolutely takes the cake. It, there, there's never been a more amped up crowd in that stadium than there was that day. It was just incredible. Watching the game, I remember seeing. It looked like all the fans were standing. It didn't look like anybody was sitting. No, no, none of the old people were sitting. No, it, there was no issue with that that day. And it's just like, I mean. They knew they were witnessing something special. Yeah, like and like you said, after that first quarter, Oklahoma, they just turned it on you know, with block punts, just playing into like not even just the offense, 
the defense just they they just cut yeah, off everything and they snuffed out everything and Eric Crouch was not even getting yards up the field this man was taking losses and they were finally like the defense was crashing in the middle and they were getting up north and south and they were just killing this Nebraska team to the point where they were they were unsuccessful for literally everything for the rest of the game they couldn't do anything they couldn't even breathe and yeah, that's that I liked how they kept on calling Mike Stoops the co defensive coordinator because that's really weird to think about him and Renables as being yeah. co coordinators. And just this was a game in which the linebackers killed, and you had Roy Williams playing a, a massive role here. And you, Corey Klein, Corey, uh, Corey Heineke, Corey Callens, a ton of Corey's apparently. Corey. And just, yeah, a lot of guys there. Just incredible defensive performance. And like you said, yeah, Curtis Fagan, you have the Andre Wolfolk catch, the circus catch where Lynn Swan oh, was on the yeah. call. Like, oh my goodness. Like, I remember, I I remember watching that it. play too in the God. That, It was, oh, God. It's like he goes up. Every single. And his leg goes up game, and he kicks it in the air. Just incredible. The best thing is that every big play that happened in that game happened on the south end of the stadium, which is where our seats were. That's so awesome. I got to see every touchdown up close. I, it was so damn cool. Were you at that game? Yeah. You were there? Did you get yeah. to go on the field? I didn't. You didn't? Oh man. That was that was extremely cool. Were you I I don't know if you remember people getting pepper sprayed by the Moore PD. <laughs> I guess the Moore no. PD was helping out and I guess the people who were tearing down the goalposts, which obviously you're not gonna stop people from doing that, so you might right. as well just let them go. They pepper sprayed a bunch of people in the face. <laughs> Dude, it was sounds so like, odd. Sounds like more cops to me. Yeah, yeah, that seems very on brand. But it's just, that was a the special game, a special moment for that. Like, Lynn Swan had himself had a moment like that with the Steelers, you know, against the Cowboys. So, oh, yeah, to, yeah. See, to see Woolfolk, he, like, you know, he goes up, kicks it in the air, and then the, and, you know, the commentators, they're like, oh, it's incomplete. And they're like, wait, hold up, wait, hold up, hold a second. And the crowd just goes nuts because you just see him reach his paw out there and just grasp it and pull it back in. And it's also weird to think about how he played so well as, a, as an offensive threat uh, next to Antoine Savage, who is the real, like, guy, you know, wide, wide receiver. He actually led Oklahoma in receiving yards in – in Oklahoma school history before, of course, Mark Clayton, Ryan Broyles, and all yeah. the other guys that came to the program. Like, the Antoine, really Antoine Savage the was the guy, yeah. And um, it's weird to think about Andre Wolfolk, how he had a good season at wide receiver, and then the next season, he's a defensive back, and he's getting drafted in the first round by the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he, he, right. he, oh, God. He and, like, oh one one is where he made the switch. Mm-hmm. But oh two 2 is where he yeah. just became. It was to the point where... He was so dangerous as a lockdown corner that it was forcing opposing quarterbacks to target whoever was being covered by Derek Strait. God. That's how good Andre Wolfolk was yeah. in 02. Derek Strait was like, he was the 03 Thorpe Award winner. He was great all four years of his career. Man, but that... Wolfolk was so good in 02 that people were having to try to pick on Derek Strait. That 02 team was so they special. Figured out, hey, we can take the top off there's eric bassey in the back we can burn yep. him in the back and that was basically what sunk the o2 team the o2 team probably ends up playing miami in the national championship yep. if not for the leaky back end in o2 
and for Jason Jason White uh, being able to play. Oh, that's true. That too, yeah. But granted, in O two, Nate Hibble was actually playing pretty well. He was much better in O two than he was in O one. He way better. Well, yeah. Part of I mean, he was horrible in O one. He was mm-hmm. he had no confidence. But I tell you what, part of that had to do with Mark Mangino. Yep, absolutely. I mean, he put the clamps on what that offense could do. He would not let Hibble throw the ball down the field in 01 at all. I mean, it was the most conservative OU offense I have ever seen. And that had to to rattle Hibble's confidence, too, because in 02, Chuck Long takes over as offensive coordinator, and the offense sort of opens up a little bit, and he does fairly well. So, just... There's a little revisionist history with OU fans with Mark Mangino. He, he, I mean, obviously things went well in 2000. He did a horrible job with the offense in 01. He mm-hmm. really did. Even though the offensive line was sort of shaky, he, yep. he was just way too conservative. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and you could probably have done that anyways with that defense that they had, but. Oh, I mean, they were incredible, yeah. You you still have to score points at the end of the day. Like, didn't that game, yeah. didn't their bowl game with Arkansas end 10-3? 10-3, yeah. God, that's that, And that was that was maybe the best defensive performance I've yep. ever seen from an OU team. Because I don't that know game if you ended on a fumble. Jones in Arkansas. Yes. How good of a runner he was. He They had that seven-overtime game against Ole Miss that year, earlier that year, and he just was running all over the place and – he ended up playing like wide receiver the for the Jaguars. Yeah, he, well, he was a first-round pick, and then he got caught with a bunch of coke on Dixon Street, and then it all God. kind of unraveled. But yeah, I yeah, he uh, he was a special player. But oh, anyway, OU shut his ass down that day. But I just remember thinking, I just remember thinking, as oranges were thrown onto the field, and the rewatching it today, seeing all those oranges on the field, and you had guys running onto the field to take the oranges off the field. A feeling of like, wow, this is like, this is it. OU has like re-arrived on the national scene. They are like the team to beat. And they, they, yeah, like you said, they scored 31 unanswered after being down 14 nothing, and just completely set, you know, burst onto the scene of like, this is the team to beat in the country. Uh, they're number one. And in BCS standings, they were like far ahead of everybody else. And that was a and really, really like special game. In that game. moment, it felt like OU had won a national championship. Yep. It really did. I remember after the goalpost had come down, everyone's out on the field, and uh, the PA starts playing uh, We Are the Champions by Queen. Mm-hmm. And the entire crowd is chanting We Are the Champions. The lyrics to the song. <laughs> it was it – was, very surreal definitely like makes you feel relevant again and that's oh yes yeah. that was, was the it was what about football. that was when it was solidified definitely but um so that was us kind of like reliving red october um we're about to head to a break and then we have a lot of your twitter questions some of them are pretty great some of them are pretty interesting to say the least and then we have some other things to wrap it up we'll come back to you guys right a sec Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, Jack. So we have several Twitter questions. Thank you to everybody that sent them in. Like, we have a lot. And so, I mean, just everybody's trying to keep their minds off of everything else going on. So it's nice to have a podcast. Actually, what's interesting is that one of my good buddies that I work with is a former OU football player. And he has he has some things to say about beating Bo. And he has things to say about Daron uh, Reynolds. And um, he mentioned to me that his brother works for Apple. And his boss actually moved him because he's working from home now. His boss moved him over to podcasts because during this quarantine, there have been such a massive influx of new podcasts just popping up because of the amount of guys that always wanted to start a podcast. Um, they've, they've now created one because, you know, they have time. So it's really, really interesting that everybody's in a podcast now. Everybody's creating a podcast. So just really interesting. But anyways. The more the merrier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Father Matthews at J underscore Matthews underscore five says, if you're Alex Grinch, how do you convince Kendall Daniels parents that he should stay in state instead of going to Clemson, Alabama or Georgia other than using proximity to home? What do you think? That is the qualification of other than proximity to home makes it a very interesting question. But yeah. it's like, like, let's assume he plays safety at Oklahoma. Is that what you're assuming? Yeah. Okay. So in that case, he's what, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he's basically mm-hmm. the exact mold that his DC wants in a safety. He's rangy. And plus you're going to be in a system that's very attack-minded where they're going to want you to force turnovers and kind of focus on putting yourself in a position to force turnovers. So I think it would probably, you could sell this on being a very fun defense to play in, I suppose. Yeah. I think that's, that's a sell defensively. Obviously you're up against some stiff competition in Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia, which have a track record of putting people at that position into the NFL. So that's a bit of an uphill battle, but luckily the whole in-state thing is an actual sell. So that is something that can actually be incorporated into it. So I still do like OU's chances, but it's going to be a tough battle, obviously. Yeah, and you look at Kendall Daniels from Beggs, and you look at Jordan Mukes. Where's Mukes from? Oh, I can't remember. It's another Podunk town. Um, both I've these never dudes... even heard of Beggs until you told me where it was. Yeah. It isn't it it's by Okmulkey? Yeah, that's right. That's because we said that on a different podcast. That's... Yeah. <laughs> but it's just... You look at both these guys, and both these guys are six foot four. And you tell Kendall Daniels, and uh, oh, Jordan Mukes from Choctaw. Just kidding. But anyways, oh, okay. you look at both, both both of these guys, and especially Kendall Daniels, because this is what this question is specific to. And you say, hey, listen, like we have guys like Justin Broyles, we have guys like Delarian Turner Yale, who's like five foot nine without cleats, Patrick Fields, who's about five foot eleven, um, without cleats. And you say, you know, they're working for us right now. 
uh, in this system, especially in year one with Alex Grinch, but you specifically, your frame, your body type, how we're going to work you, how we're going to work you out, how we're going to get you to gain pounds at six foot four uh, and your length and athleticism, you're going to be the start of this dominant, dominant defense. And Alex Grinch already made this defense the best defense in the Big 12. And if we add, you know, another six inches of length on both the players in the back end and we can fill you out and make you play and run support, it's going to be even more special. And it's going to make this defense even more dominant in a league that isn't known for defense. We're playing the spread. Um, it's going to be pretty uh, incredible. So you convince him as about as far as we're starting, we're cleaning the slate. We don't want any dude under six foot, especially if you're a defensive back. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely, especially if you're not a, if you're a defensive back. We don't want anybody under six foot. And being six foot four, you're the exact mold what we need to get over the hump and to get into and win the national title game. And of course, um, flashing him a little cash doesn't hurt either. So of course, there you go. But. Keithan, I don't know how to say I know Keithan. I don't know how to say your last name. Keithan Farber? Fairber? Fairber? What do you think? Fairber. Fairber. Well, Fairber. He, he asks what color a mirror is. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> what would, um, would you say crystal? Color, though. Is crystal a color? No, I don't think so. Is clear a color, but it's not clear. Larry Bird. Larry's not white. Larry's clear. So maybe. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't um, know that one. A little Space Jam there for you. Um, I'm going to Google this just because it's driving me insane. Yeah, what I'm sure color? The, I'm sure it, the answer is nothing. Right. Because mirrors don't have a color. I don't know. That's a good question. What color is color. a mirror? I feel like a dumbass right now. As a perfect mirror reflects back all the colors comprising white light, it's also white. So it's white. What? Yeah. <laughs> so weird. According to the BBC, yep, that said real mirrors aren't perfect and their surface atoms give any reflection a very slight green tinge as the atoms in the glass re reflect back green light more strongly than any other color. So technically it's white, but sometimes it appears green. I'm science Boom. podcast. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Next for Twitter the question is from Brady Trantham. And this one is very on brand for Brady, who is the complete opposite of a Stoops apologist. He says, explain the theory involving Bob Stoops' fault if the 2020 season gets canned and we only get one season of Spencer Rattler. Do we have a theory that if the 2020 season gets canceled, that it's Bob Stoops' fault? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm trying to think of ways in which it could be his fault. I don't know. I, I feel like he's probably loving this right now because he doesn't have to go outside, and, and he doesn't have to deal with the XFL anymore. I yep. think he was getting sick of that. He was getting sick of the sideline interviews and being mic'd oh, up man, and stuff incredible. like that. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm Maybe trying to think Maybe he released of... the coronavirus. How about, how, what do you think about that? He didn't want to coach in the XFL anymore. How about this? And here we are. You have, you have several Oklahoma players that play 
Um, you have several Oklahoma players that play for the Dallas Renegades in the XFL. And let's say a theory, because a theory is something that's unproven. Um, and he let somebody, he let several of his players go around, uh, you know, whatever on vacation. I don't know, during, they don't have bye weeks, but let's say like several players went home for some whatever reason. And several of these players happen to have coronavirus. Um, they happen to have COVID-19 and they infected other people. And maybe one of them got close to Rudy Gobert. Maybe oh. one of them got close to Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert comes to Oklahoma one night and shuts literally everything down the next day. Boom. Bob Stoops. That, I mean, that game and him getting coronavirus, that was the domino that made everything yes. outside of sports fall. Inside that, of Oklahoma that's City. Why the entire, that, that led to all of the precautions was that event. Like literally Across 30 because we were podcasting literally 30 minutes later. It was, oh, by the way, NBA shutting everything down. And then when that happened, the NCAA tournament shut down. And then, <clears> then <throat> oh, everything outside everything. of sports started being shut down. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that was the domino that got everything going. Yep. Pretty wild. It's almost like Rudy Gobert was like accidental idiot hero. Yeah, you got, think about it. Got Donovan Mitchell sick, and Donovan Mitchell got really pissed about it. Apparently, according to Shams, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So, next one is from the Sooner Tracker at Sooner Tracker. He's a really good guy. Um, he says, if the 2020 season happens, because the reason why we're saying this is because there have been reports that college coaches, some of them are growing increasingly nervous that there might not be a season, and um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he says, if the 2020 season happens. How does the COVID-19 situation affect teams? Are older teams at an advantage versus younger teams due to experience with the system? Um, Jack, you go ahead. Um, absolutely, I would say so. I mean, if you if you have a defense that's returning a bunch of starters and they have chemistry with each other, they already know how to communicate with one another, obviously they can thrive with fewer reps. Yep. Whereas a defense that's losing eight or nine starters – if you don't have as many off-season reps, I mean, obviously that's going to hurt you. Now, how do you? Then, think I mean, maybe. How do you think it impacts no, Oklahoma? Because, like, I agree with you. I think you know, you, with the team that's returning eight to nine guys on both sides of the ball, um, you need you don't need as many reps, and um, you know you're all there. And I imagine if the 2020 season does happen with spring being canceled, there and I don't know if summer ball is going to be there that they'll be allowed yeah. to have more fall camp practices because they're allowed to have 29. Um, but the Sooners, even though they're returning all these guys, the guys they're not returning are, are the quarterbacks yeah. of both the offense and the defense, and those are the guys that need the most reps. I mean, you could have Caleb exactly. Kelly step in there and play with a little more confidence because they plugged him in last yeah. year in very crucial situations toward the end of the year. So he, he, he can be fine, but he still needs to learn that, that position. Um, but how would it affect Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler needing more of those reps um, with Caleb Kelly, Deshaun White, Brian Asamoa, whoever they're plugging there, needing more reps to get experience. How do you think that would look early on? Okay. As far as Rattler is concerned, yes, obviously the higher number of reps will benefit someone who doesn't have that much experience, but tell me this. Towards the end of the season last year, do you think Spencer Rattler was ready to be plugged in and played? Because I, I think he was. 
Yes, and I and I think that okay. so the offense go. isn't really a worry <laughs> because um, you're gonna you're 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 only replacing one offensive lineman, and a lot of those guys got yeah. continuity a lot better toward the end of the season. Um, so those guys on the offensive line don't really need that many reps. So you could survive like Tennessee at home. Um, yeah. And then just do what you want with Rattler later, a little bit later in the game as it went on. Um, but the defense, that's something that's a really interesting uh, thing. I'm not sure what that would look like without a superhuman mega athlete. At, that is Kenneth Murray. Um, you're looking at who's going to be that, you know, that Mike, who's going to be the communicator of the entire defense. So that that's, you know, and I, I agree with that, that statement. Like, yeah, I, I think that the, Older teams like the Sooners with more experience, they definitely have an advantage. 100% they have an advantage. Um, and especially with uh, the offense and the defense, you know, as Alex Grinch said, they, they, it's night and day. They're not learning the system anymore. They're just, you know, continuing to keep on staying within that system and raise the bar. So it's a matter of just making those quarterbacks offensively and defensively with the mic feel very comfortable with Spencer Rattler. It's easy because he has literally everybody else except Trey Sermon. Um, and then who, who Trey Sermon was like in the doghouse for a long, it was, it's a weird situation. Anyways, he's in Ohio State now, but with the defense, it's a little more challenging. So that's to be seen, of course. Uh, but yeah, this, absolutely. Next question is from Sco. It makes me think of Dale Gribble, Gribble every time. Go! Yeah. He says, what's the weirdest show or movie you've streamed while in quarantine? And maybe what's the weirdest food you've eaten? So what do you got? Okay, well, show, I think I have the same one <laughs> as pretty much everyone saying that it's Tiger King. Yeah. That was fucking bananas. I mean, the fifth episode involves a funeral of his husband who accidentally shot himself in the head while on meth and he is up there dressed as a priest talking about his dead husband's testicles at the funeral yeah that's weird so, man yeah little odd i mean i knew he was a nut but i even i was shocked by a lot of what i saw in that documentary I mean, that was crazy. And then weirdest food. I haven't really eaten necessarily that much weird food, but I was at the beginning of this. I was trying to do keto. That has fallen through. It's too hard to do keto during quarantine. But I had a, we had heart of palm pasta. You ever had mm -hmm. heart of palm before? Mm -mm. Pretty good. I, I had never had it as a pasta before. We had like basically chicken Alfredo with heart of palm pasta. What, is even, what does that look like? I mean, it basically looks like pasta noodles. Okay. It, it, it's white. Like a little tinge of green to it, I think, but mostly white. It's pretty good. Well. Um, that's not necessarily weird, but definitely something I had never eaten before. Yeah. I'll say, the since you went with Tiger King, because uh, that is a very weird show, um, I'll say a movie. And I'm not going to say it's like, it's not a weird movie even though I just haven't seen it before, but the ending was very, very weird. Um, I'd never seen La Bamba before, and uh, I'd always oh. heard good things about it. I, and, I, I haven't seen La Bamba in a long time. Yeah, and, and it, it was a good, it was a great movie, um, and I knew, like, the story behind it, um, 
but and I didn't I, I just I get I didn't never realize that he was in the same play plane as uh Buddy Holly and yeah, um yeah, and, and the big bopper and the big bopper yeah and um but the very end of the movie is like his brother or stepbrother just like screaming his name Richie and I was like that I was like oh is that the end and it was so I was like oh that's real real weird kind of awkward and, but in reality it's, it's a pretty great movie uh, oh, and yeah. then Lou weirdest food I've, yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips, that's right. And, and and weirdest food I've eaten, huh? Goodness, I honestly, okay, this might be weird to people, um, because like I just like went out to Sam's and we bought several things and like um, we've eaten pretty regular food. Um, but something that weird that I've eaten that maybe, maybe people don't know about is like I've been trying to like work out at home as well. Um, trying to keep my mind and busy, my body busy, so I'm not just sitting around. And um, there are these things called uh, protein cookies. They're called a like I think what's a complete cookie or something like that from Lenny and Larry, whatever. It's got like uh, almost 20 grams of protein. So like one, oh. I eat a complete cookie uh, for lunch one day uh, with some with some like chocolate milk with also like but boosted protein in it too. So it was like. A had a lot of protein, but also B it was like I was a kid eating chocolate milk and cookies for lunch. Um, so yeah, that's what I said. Uh, that's a, I'll, I'll go. That's what my weirdest food I've eaten. So it's pretty. That doesn't sound terrible. That wasn't. Um, next question from Pirate Rob thirteen <laughs> Duncan Rowan says, "Which what current Sooner would you want to be quarantined with the most and the least, coaches included?" Um, what do you think? It's a weird question when you're dealing with current sooner because I don't want to hang out with a 20 year old kid. I'm 31. Yeah. So I, I would usually say no one, but I would say Creed Humphrey mm-hmm. because Creed He's Humphrey and I like a lot of the same music from what I've gathered. He's a big fan of Sturgill Simpson and Tyler yep. Childers, basically stuff of that nature. And he seems like a cool cat. We, we talked to him at Big 12 Media Days. He's a cool guy. So I suppose by default, Plus, he can probably put away a lot of beer too, so we would yeah, bond over that. I bet that, he could. So. I bet there he one hundred percent the Logie. I bet he has a Logie's hat one hundred percent. Probably, yeah. I'm trying to think of the least. Uh, have a least. I don't think I dislike anyone on the team from a personality standpoint. Last year, the least would probably be Jalen Hurt. Love <laughs> no joke, but I wouldn't want to be quarantined with. I think, and according to like, and I knew this during the season, but I don't think you would be the only one. And I'm even like extending this to the Sooners football team that would not want to be quarantined with them. I know there definitely were some emotions about him that were similar yeah. to Trey Young when he was on campus. I could easily picture that. Yeah. I think current Sooner and Duncan did not specify the football team. So current Sooner that I would want to be quarantined with the most. And this is like, <laughs> let me, let me, let me preface this by, by saying this is not like sexual, but I'm saying. Oh, well, thank you for qualifying that. You, uh, you yes. put the thought in our head. Yeah, you it's not, not sexual, but like. I would want to hang out with Maggie Nichols, who's like one of the most decorated Sooners of oh. all time. Like, and also like, just like she'd be very ma- fun to talk to. Yeah, she'd, she'd be fun I to think talk I, to. I, I, 
I think George Stoya wrote an article about her lately that really went into everything she's accomplished in life, and it's really good. And like she could also forgive show... me if it wasn't George Stoya, but I think it was George. Yeah, Stoya. I, think, I think it was. And she could show me like more things about like you know like other workouts I can do at home at home because like like I downloaded some apps and they've been really awesome. Like honestly, they've been kicking my butt. Uh, but but she could also show me other things. And like I most recently started doing yoga after my workouts to de stress. And I've also like that feels like really amazing. But like I bet she does yoga because like all those like all those athletes, especially like an Olympic athlete and somebody that does stuff um, on, you know, on the floor and everything else that they do with gymnastics, I'm sure they do yoga, like how, with how like limber they are. That's incredible. Like she could do so many other things. And so it's like, that would be really cool to talk. Um, And then somebody that I would not want to be quarantined with. I don't want to be quarantined with Bill (laughs) Beatenbow. I I, I don't either. Just what I I know about him. What I've been told about him and how he interacts with people, he doesn't seem like a fun person at all. By the way, probably major BO, I'm guessing. Yeah, maybe. Like, I don't know. He just seems like a dude that's like bad. It would be bad to be quarantined with him. He just sounds like a guy that's like, don't fuck with me. I don't fuck with me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. Like, stay out of my business. (laughs) He just seems like not a fun person, but he's a great football coach. Oh, he's he's the best offensive line coach there is. Yep, and Bryce Foster agrees. Um, but yeah, uh, Daryl from Just Okay, uh, the Just Okay Boys have a really good podcast too. Where they're just oh, talking yeah, about absolutely. Um, Oklahoma sports in general. Um, he says, "Will bagmen be more involved in recruiting than ever due to Corona?" What do you think? That is a wonderful question. I think and so. I you think it's a good think, question. I, I think there's some validity to this question because how much you would think that oversight in these times would be reduced a little bit wouldn't you say yeah and i don't see how they i don't see how they could uh do that much oversight yeah i mean it it seems like they have their hands full too with all of the issues that are going on right now whether to you know grant eligibility to spring athletes which seems like a no-brainer Right. People are like, well, they would have to like expand scholarships. We'll fucking do it. Do it for a year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Fine. it's a weird situation right now. Not like they don't have the money. Right. It can be done. But yeah, but, I think. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. I think Bagman would be way more involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like they could get away with a little bit more, especially with the high-profile players. And we'll, we'll, and we'll talk about this a little bit a little bit later on the podcast. Maybe like. 10 minutes but like it yeah definitely that um he also says everyone's freaking out about caleb williams but what about non-quarterback recruits is it uh he's excuse me he says but what non-qb recruit is as it as it more important to having an elite class and bringing ou number eight that's a good question Mm, i mean there are a few ways you can go with this you can look at kendall daniels obviously with how much his stock is going up yep and how much he would help the defense then you have guys like kamar wheaton at running back that would really he's a five-star guy that would really help the class getting even one five-star guy it boosts you so much in the rankings yep as far as uh having elite class is concerned um and then you bryce foster is another guy a guy you were just mentioning bryce foster would be huge for this class yeah i was gonna say bryce foster um just the the way that bill beanbow's recruited on the offensive line 
and to have a guy like Bryce Foster that looks like he's already NFL ready uh, just to plug in with yeah. how, how well you've also recruited, he'd be imperative. Uh, just Put to have him on with Bill Biedenboe and, uh, yeah, giddy up. And you've got, you know, Andrew Rame and all these other guys that are probably going to get snaps this year too that are just incredible and they're young. Just really, really good, high-profile kids. But, yeah, I'll say Bryce Foster is pretty important. As we've seen, offensive lines are really important. And he says – what players are you most concerned will not make grades or probably more specifically not work out enough to be ready for 2020 season? What players or what player well, players for grades? There's not necessarily that yeah. much like Harrington is one guy you worry about because he's a Juco guy that was supposed to be a January enrollee who was not allowed to do that and is still in junior college and still has work to do. And whenever that happens, it's a bit of a red flag and it sort of throws the future into doubt a little bit. So there, that's one thing to think about as far as that is concerned. As far as not being in shape in time, not enough time to work out. Ugh. Trying to I think guys that all of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, trying to think who like Rattler is a guy who he's, He's he gained a lot of mass last year, which he definitely needed, but he needs to add a little bit more. He's posting he, he, he's posting workout videos on Instagram. This man is still getting his work in. So okay. I, I, He'll be I think fine. About, I think about other players that like because OU recruits guys from private schools, um a lot of guys from private schools actually and in academies. But then I also think about guys that come from, you know, very humble backgrounds to where they they don't really have that much and a lot of what they get. Um, is from the athletic department. A lot of the clothes they have, like a lot of the new clothes they get are from the athletic department. So guys that come from more, you know, poor socioeconomic status backgrounds. So guys that, you know, they're at home and they, they don't have this equipment. And so like, and they, and their gyms are shut down. So you can't go to like a planet fitness, for like 10 bucks or yeah. their high school workout for free. So there's like losing mass doing in doing like push-ups and other workouts that like maybe Benny Wiley's sending them that they can do. And they're not, they're not getting the nutrition program at the university that you're normally getting either. That's a huge part of it. So it's just, it's, it's a, it's concerning. So I would say the players that, you know, that come from, you know, not wealthy families, that ones that, you know, they rely on, you know, their, their home gyms and they rely on their high schools for workouts when they're not, uh, not on campus. Um, so, yeah, but other things in this, this first thing it dives right down into that Lincoln Riley is absolutely pissed um, about the ACC. They're able to send workout equipment to their players and the big 12 and literally everybody else is not like if they like, like we were, we were just talking about it. Like if Benny Wiley and them could send guys just small pieces of equipment and regimens that they can do like to help them stay fit toned and maybe, you know, whatever, just to stay in shape. Then Just that's tied them they over until do. they're able to come back to yes. campus. And Lincoln Riley mentioned that they need to level the playing field. And right now it's the ACC. So Clemson players right now are being able to stay in shape, you know, and they're the really, really the only ones in the ACC that matter. Uh, but everybody else is at home. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I feel like there needs to be more. Usually I'm not someone who calls for this kind of thing, but I would like a little bit more NCAA oversight here. Yep, definitely. They Especially need if it's to one conference come down and level the playing field here. If it's just one conference there needs doing to be uniformity. it, uniformity. What's up? Especially if it's just one conference doing it. You exactly. Know, you can... Yeah, it, it it makes no sense. 
It's weird. And then just talking about the 2020 season in general, like there is a real chance that this thing does not happen uh, because uh, COVID-19 is very serious and um, it's, it's something that could go on for months. People are, are expecting it to go away like in, in May, but I think the crap is going to possibly hit the fan. Like the guy, Dr. Fossey or Fossey, whatever his name is, like expecting this thing to really peak in April. So there's no way this thing's going away by May or not necessarily peak in April, but get worse in April. Um, so there's a real chance that, you know, if this thing is still legitimate by July, that, you know, you have to really consider, okay, well, fall camp is right here. Like, do we shut down? the season and how does that how does that look of course that's you know four months from now but you know (laughs) it's been going around for a while um so i think there's a chance that the season will be shortened or expedited um i think recruiting that we mentioned earlier will be really really interesting like your high profile guys like caleb williams and Bryce Foster, Trayvon Henderson, Kamar Wheaton, literally everybody that OU had on campus right before uh, Rudy Gobert showed up to Oklahoma City. Um, they were lucky with that too. And I think that um, it'll, it'll be really, it's, it's a possibility that the season might start like a month late and they shove everything back or just take their losses with, you know, like a team like Missouri State or whatever that those pay them and not have records like that. I don't know what that looks like, but I think you know, there's a chance it'll be expedited and shortened. And, they they have 29 fall camp practices. I have a I have a thing that if they do have the season and it is shortened, that they'll be available to have more practices than 29. What do you think? Do you that think there's seems... possible? Like if you had to put a percentage on it, do you think what percentage would you think that the 2020 season does happen? That it does happen in some form or another. I would say just over. I'd say over 50%, but I would say that it would more likely than not yeah. be a shortened season. Yeah, I, I think you might you might play one fewer game. I think the, maybe the Missouri State game goes away yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Hopefully not the Tennessee game because I'm really looking forward to that. But because does it you have a bye in the second week of the season? I I think it's I think the bye is the week after Tennessee. The, okay. Before Army, oh, that's if I right. if I recall correctly, but it's just like yeah, I, I agree. I think it. I think there's a more than likely than more than not likely chance that they'll play football this year, and I do think that'll be shortened. Uh, do you think they'll they'll extend the amount of camps their practices are allowed to have? You would think they would have to do something like that because you have to make sure that everyone is up to speed. I mean, I, I think, and as far as, I mean, you'd also probably have to allow them a little bit more training as well, because if you let them come in unprepared from a physical standpoint, you're risking injury. So you're going to have to allow a little bit more as far as that's concerned. But Yeah. Um, Trevor Lawrence, who has fashionable hair, decided to start a GoFundMe to battle COVID-19. And I think it has to do with the amount of like hospital uh, masks, gowns, gloves, etc. I think it's called PPE. Um, and um, at first, the NCAA was like, "Hey, don't do that," which is the most NCAA thing ever, right? I yeah, it, it it's completely counterproductive to their 
<laughs> I guess their state admission or whatever. I don't know, but like it, it, it makes no sense. It benefits no one. It like just let it go. And then like, finally, the whole world bullied them essentially yeah. into just letting it go. Like he's using his platform as a high caliber and high profile athlete to really raise not just like money and help for hospitals, but awareness for people that aren't doing things that they should be doing, like quarantining and trying to be safe. Um, So I think, yeah, it's an awesome thing on his part and really stupid of the NCAA. uh, It's it's like, it's like, how do you, how do you, how how does that even happen? They're just constantly shooting themselves in the foot from a public relations standpoint. I, I do not understand who is making these decisions? It, it's wild. Unbelievable. Well, what's even more wild is Ole Miss. <laughs> the Mississippi is it this? Yeah, it's the University of Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, they sent out letters to older alumni during maybe it's a really bad time <laughs> because. Well, yeah, they they thought they would capitalize on coronavirus paranoia. Jesus Christ! Basically saying, hey. Maybe now is a good time to update your will and think about good old old men. <laughs> oh my god. Like how? How does that cross your mind as a good idea? I mean if I'm an old man and I see that come in my inbox, I would tell them to shove off. It would probably make me less likely to put that in my will. Oh my gosh. Like they literally just said, yeah. There's like a lot, the mortality rate of the elderly is pretty high and you might consider adjusting your will. And it's like, oh my gosh, like that's the, like, man, it just means more in the SEC. Just means more. I suppose so. Oh my God. That's incredible. Uh, Blake Bell and Gerald McCoy and for Cowboys fans that are listening, uh, former Sooners, Blake Bell and Gerald McCoy are now. Dallas Cowboys. That's actually pretty. Yeah. I, I really like that for yeah, Gerald good, McCoy. Good for Gerald McCoy. I mean, I, I, I dig it. I mean, I, I, as much as there is to say about the Cowboys, they're probably going to be pretty good in 2020. Yeah. So it'll be nice to see him on a competitor. And you see, however, you want to classify the Cowboys, whether you want to classify yeah. them as a competitor or not. The NFL it's is a really nice addition for Dallas, and it, it's cool yes. for Gerald McCoy. He gets to be closer to his family. It'll be cool. And plus, his son is going to OU next year. Yep. yep. So now he's only three hours away from his son. So mm-hmm. pretty cool. And the, the really cool thing about um, about all of this is just that the NFL, like I, we're gonna we're gonna have football in the fall. Uh, I don't know if it'll, it'll be college football, but I feel very very confident in saying that there will be NFL football in the fall. They yeah. still have money to make, and they will just shove the season back because they can do that. They're not in school. It's just like the NBA. They're, I think they're done for the year, but they're gonna, they could shove the season back to starting in December You know, in, in the NBA. So they yeah. can shove it back, and there's because that's their job. It's not school. So there will be football in the fall. There just maybe possibly won't be – College football. We don't know. We're just speculating. And you but might not see any preseason games this year. Yeah, that, that 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 that's fair. Which is fine. It sucks for guys who are trying to make the squad, though. That's yep. one thing. Yeah, and guys yeah. Were fighting for Washington for Houston for the XFL got a gig. PJ um, Walker. A PJ Walker. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. 
I've got a gig playing for who do you, who picked him up? Was it? Um, oh. it was the Panthers, I believe. Panthers, that's right. Yeah. After they released Cam Newton, and I'm really hoping yeah, to around the same time, up. yeah. Uh, and Tiger King. We already talked about it before, but man, that's 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 a show that there's like, so many things to unpack from that. Speaking of which, Alan Kenny just finished an did. article with his ten favorite things from the documentary. I'm just so. I need that to be Watch out a, for that one dropping in the AM. I need that to turn into a, a movie. And the the weirdest thing is, well, is no, like it, it, it's going to happen. Like it, it, there well it's not a movie, it's a uh well maybe it's a movie. It's it's either a movie or a series and uh Carol is being played by Kate McKinnon. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, going to be good. Uh, it's it it hasn't been announced which network it's going to go to, but with the popularity of this documentary you would think that the bidding for it's going to be pretty high. So I think it, yeah, I think it's a series. And so it's, I don't it's know. Really it will probably be picked up by Netflix or someone like that. Yeah. If I had to guess, but. It's just, it's strange because in the beginning you're like, okay, this, this Joe guy, he's like kind of weird. And like you, you don't see him as a villain or anything. You just see him as like, this is like a very odd man. And he's this a very, very odd man, and he's very, kind of he, the other people who are involved in this business are also odd. I yeah, didn't know that Carol Baskin was a complete dirtbag too. And now it's the thing was like fed her husband to tigers. He like Jeff Lowe and Carol Baskin toward at the Jeff toward Lowe the end of the series. Horrible. You find you find Joe Cancel Exotic. You like <laughs> Joe Exotic is like you you find a lot of sympathy for this guy. You're like hold up, hold up. He, like he totally got screwed over over here, and there's a lot of people like that feel sympathetic towards Joe. It, it's and... almost like watching Game of Thrones, where these horrible people who have done terrible things, you find yourself rooting for them in the end for some reason. Yep. Even though they continue to do terrible Dude, things. My favorite part during <laughs> my favorite really, this, part this series is like redneck Game of Thrones. That's yes, basically what that it really was. is. Over this one park, yeah, and yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of weird. And like the 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 weird thing was for me, and the the best thing really is he hated Carol Baskin so much that this man <laughs> literally he made a music video about her killing her husband and feeding it to tigers. It to like tigers. this You're man kidding, was kidding. so. Petty, he made a, a damn music video about her feeding her dead or her disappeared husband to tigers, and there's just so much more to unpack in that in the in that entire series. Like I'm thinking the, about just the watching guy it on again. The jet ski, the guy who sold. Oh my gosh! Out. Yes. What was his role within? I don't know. I, I don't. I, no one knows. His but we do know. We just a lemur and a stripper pole. And his haircut was really weird. Is, like he needed a shorter haircut. I don't even know. I think yeah, Joe Exotic called him a Chucky doll looking motherfucker. Or something yeah, like that, that. Oh, that God. made me laugh pretty hard. Dude, there's so <laughs> much. I, I'm, I'm thinking about rewatching the entire series. Oh and, yeah, I'm going to. And there's there's uh, the, Seth Wadley is very very excited for this <laughs> for, yeah, for the series totally. because they got so much publicity. And then don't forget. Joe Exotic was wearing a Texas Longhorn hat the entire time, so a he's a Texas fan. A lot of people fan. were. His first husband, who had the meth teeth, was wearing Texas stuff the whole time, just, too. Just saying, By folks. the way, he has a full set of fake teeth now. 
I saw that. I saw Did that. You see that? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. And now his husband, uh, or his, I guess his former husband, is married to um, one of their workers at uh, yeah, that's the one zoo yeah. and. He uh he was like I've never been gay. He's like you were just my husband. I'm like I don't know how that works. Uh, so that's a you do weird you, thing. Man. But man, that's that's an incredible series. I think yeah. After we got off, I'm gonna go restart the series. But David, what, what it's it's Thursday. You have any plans for the weekend and week? I mean, not, there's plans not a lot we weekend, can do. I mean, I I think I'm going to run by my parents' house on Saturday and pick up their dog and let him come over here and hang out with my girlfriend and I. Because we've been missing having a dog around us. Yeah. So having a gold retriever in her place is going to be cool. Let him run around and get hair everywhere and drool all over the place. It'll be a good time. Nick's good boy. That's basically how, yeah, I mean, I'll probably drink a few beers out on the porch and go on some walks. Just quarantine life. It's fun, though. Making it work. And it's been nice, really. So it's like, it's honestly been kind of like pleasant, like just yeah. like sitting on my back I mean, it, porch. It got kind of hot today. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, like it was hot. I moved my front yard today. It's like the worst day to do it, but hey. But yeah, I'm just going to hang out, read some books, and just do whatever. Just keep my mind busy. Oh, yeah. But uh, anything else? I think I'm good, man. All right, guys. Well, I think it about wraps us up. So go follow us on crimsonandcreammachine.com. Like Jack just said, Alan Kenny just is dropping a Tiger King, like Tiger King column. His greatest pick. I'm so excited, and there's a lot more things every day that we're coming up with. Uh, things that are a little more creative because, of course, there's no football happening right now. Go ahead and follow Jack on, at Crimson Cream Machine or at J Larry Shields. I'm at Camerabi CCM. Again, guys, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Google Play. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Really appreciate it. And we will check you guys later.